This podcast is presented by Rabbi Peretz Munchkin, speaking to the millennial generation. Well, you mentioned that it's your birthday um, on the 10th of March, the secular calendar. And it made me wonder what significance do, do we as Jews place on birth dates? I know, you know, in, 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 in Indian philosophy, they have the Vedic calendar. You know, we, we've obviously heard, heard about the Gregorian calendar. And, um, you know, do we place any significance on the days people were born? Um, is it linked to the Parsha and what happened kind of in biblical times, or is there a, another significance? So I don't know when it stopped because it's surely birthdays are in Judaism. We know the dates of enough Jewish characters to know that they cared, right? If they didn't care, they wouldn't, they wouldn't have kept the dates. Everything was so intentional in Jewish carrying. Yeah, you know, uh, for example, next week is Purim when my Hebrew birthday is. And um, I'm the full moon. So I, I, one of the reasons I'm attracted to my Hebrew birthday is because it's always on the full moon. So I get this like, you know, uh, specific natural connection. It feels more than the sun, which could be, you know, any random day, but this is always a full moon. It always excites me, but you could celebrate both birthdays. Fantastic. Um, and, I'll, and I'll get to that quickly is we know Moses's birthday was the seventh of Adar and, and uh, the seventh of Adar well, this year is a leap year, so it was really last month. Otherwise, otherwise it would actually be uh, uh, the, in, a, in a day or two again. But basically, Moses's birthday, Haman doesn't consider the birthdays a thing, because and he doesn't think the Jews think the birthdays are a thing. And then he goes, oh, Adar is a good time to kill the Jews, because that's when Moses has died. And he doesn't know that Moses's birth was on the same day, and the birth cancel out the death, because being alive in a body makes a, a bigger mark than passing away. Although passing away is a huge loss, but it's only a loss because you were alive, <laughs> because you were real. And because of that realness, even, even if, God forbid, on the earliest stages, somebody passed away, it doesn't matter the level of tragedy, it matters that you were alive, and now, and now we can't feel that sense. So that means the living part is the more important, which would make the birthday. But what, what's incredible is, is that the Rebbe, Rabbi Schneerson, is the one who brought back birthdays. He made it a key campaign that people should find their moon birthday and celebrate it. And, and when people said, what about my secular birthday? They said, celebrate that too. So you could say it's just because he was into celebrating life, which is a good enough reason. Or you could say that now that we live in a more open life for Jewish people, uh, we have the opportunity to bring back traditions that may have not felt essential to our survival. So that means part of shedding a survival mentality is actually your birthday, according to the well, rabbi, and, that by and, finding uh, and, your birthday... Yeah, and just to dig, dig into that, I guess, you know, we, I realize I've never asked you why we follow the lunar calendar as opposed to another calendar. And, and I was reading this, I was reading a, a parasha last night, um, and it mentioned that we're not supposed to follow the traditions of other peoples. And I wondered, like, of course, there were people following the sun, you know, during biblical times. Why, why do we follow the moon, per se, and why do we follow the lunar calendar? Well, first of all, we kind of follow both because Shabbat is a solar calendar holiday, right? Every seven days, that's a sun thing. That's not a moon cycle. But when the Jewish people leave Egypt, they're told the first mitzvah they get is to follow the moon. They're told, you want to leave Egypt? You got to follow the moon. Why do they have wow. to follow the moon? 
Well, there's so many layers, but one layer is the moon, the moon is actually more of a representation of deeper reality than the sun is because the sun is, is somewhat of a somewhat mythical where it's just the same thing happens every single day. The clouds uh, or the energy we derive from the sun, it doesn't affect the sun. The sun has really no deep connection per se to earth other than we absorb energy from it. Whereas the moon is deeply connected. It's our moon. It's part of our orbit. It's deeply connected to the, ma the magnetical pull of our life. And, and that is more reminiscent of us where we are in an orbit of sorts. A human being is in their own little universe and they're constantly, you know, uh, uh, feel, filling themselves in the sense where like, let's put it this way. The, the, the moon is reflective energy, which means it's, in, it's inclusive of the energy around it and then reflects it off itself. And right. that is, and that is a real part of being human. Yeah, and that reminds me, you've said in the past, you know, Hashem is the source of light, whereas we're just a manifestation and a reflection of that divinity. And so the moon also, you know, absorbs and reflects the light in a way right. that's quite human, maybe. Well, there is, there is an, a deeper idea that the sun is also a form of reflection of light, but that's a more, you know, of a, of a metaphysical concept than it is the moon, which is actually, you see it that way. Meaning like the example would be that people follow righteous people because they're like, oh, they're the sun. You look at them, they're radiating with, with light. But the truth is they're not really a sun. They're actually just reflective of a greater energy source. So the same thing with the sun, the sun is also a reflective of a greater energy source. It didn't make itself. You know, it's a manifestation of creation also. It's just because of its deep consistency, it, it doesn't, it, we, we only see what it emanates. And that's sort of like, that's why the sun is sometimes connected to, the, to more of a righteous people and the moon to regular people. But in Kabbalah, the moon is all humanity is like the moon because all humanity is really a reflection of each other and of how we treat nature and how we, you know, uh, Sign, kind of our basic uh, karmatic principles that that even Judaism adheres by that you are a reflection and and a part of all the energy around you. So it's interesting that in order for Jews to leave their Egypt, their limitations, their their box of slavery, their and and, and open themselves up and expand themselves, the moon. they got to follow the moon. That's besides that women are a representation of the moon. Feminine energy is, and all of creation is really feminine. And even the man has to change the way he sees himself as like a son where like, I just eat well and take care of myself and I'm good for years. And instead realize, no, you're actually also waxing and waning constantly. You're also feminine, which means you also have to nurture uh, the things around you. You have to see yourself That's as a, a vessel for creating very, life. So it's almost very, like God says, you, can't, you guys can't be free until you adopt your inner feminine cycle. Amazing. So Rabbi, tell me about the, tell me about your birthday and tell me about the, the this 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 sedra and this parsha well this this um this it's a very it's a it's a very interesting connection actually to this portion which this week when they read it i'm going to ask for an aliyah to get called to the torah because i want uh be called up before my birthday i always find that getting called to the torah the shabbat before my birthday is like giving me juice for the week ahead and this week's parsha by yikra is all about being able to see your life as purposeful and the Rebbe said that your birthday is God telling you, you matter. Like if you ever worried about like, do I matter? Am I part of this? Do I need to be here? It's like, yes, that's what your birth represents. It re represents purpose, meaning. And like, even if people didn't mean to have a kid, 
it still represents that type of that type of meaning. So there's this incredible um, connection to this portion and birthdays in general that it's really all about constantly remembering that everything in your life matters and the way to access it is through intention. So the birthday should be spent about thinking about like, where can I grow in my intentional and mindful practices so that I can take this idea that my life matters and invest it into everything I do. And this portion begins with the concept of sacrifices, but the cryptic wording that the Torah uses for sacrifices is actually not about sacrifices because it's almost as if the Torah knew that wasn't going to be part of modern times, but it's about closeness. It's about creating a closeness to everything happening in your life. And that's what intentionality is, is creating a first degree connection to who you are and what you're occupied with. And when you have that, you can, you can nurture your ego and your sense of self in such a strong way because it's not a false sense. There's an ego that's for survival that I just need to live. But the goal is not to just survive. The goal is to have an ego that says, okay, what am I here for? How can I maximize my potential? How could I use all the skills and resources that are in my life? Whether they're a little or a lot, they're always something. So this is like tapping into that is really what this portion's about and what birthdays are about. And I feel very blessed that they come together for me that way. Uh, and to, can you tell me a bit more of this concept of sacrifice and closeness with respect to like the actual, like factuals? things that happened in the in this in this um portion the there's there's um there's basically an idea that your body is essentially why you feel like an animal or you feel like survivalism is because a part of you is your body is your body is that so when you come on earth there's like the sense of like, why do I need to look for indication of what should I do with my life? I could just look to nature, right? Nature operates in harmony. I should try to operate in harmony. That's how you could see there are, there are hunters that, and, and especially in like Native American life that are so refined, right? That they're connected to the land and their hunting is not bloodthirst or, or just bad dieting. It's actually how they're one with the land. And that's, you know, it's, uh, it's, it's, it's definitely my fantasy is always like, wow, you know, being one with earth. And then Judaism comes as actually, you can't, you can't, um, you can't hunt like Jews don't hunt. We have to be able to have an integral connection to the animal if we're going to consume it. And, and since we're responsible, we're very into building life and families. We don't live nomadically. So that means hunting is off the table for us because we have to be one with the consumption that we have. So how does one become one with their animal is they have to take the animal and lift it out of a survival construct. That's actually a really it. good point. Sorry to, sorry no, to interrupt on that. But yeah, that, now that you mention it, it's true. Because in the Torah, it always talks about the sacrifices. It's the, <clears throat> pardon me, but the 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 hef, like the male cow or it's a sheep or it's a goat or it's a chicken or you know they're, they're domestic animals we, we're not going and sacrificing kind of like wild animals and so i get is that that's the assumption that yeah you know yeah. the animals available to us are those that we farm we're not going out and sort of hunting wild animals and sacrificing them yeah, I think there's a very direct connection to that, partly because it's like, you know, domestication of animals was connected to wealth. And uh, the idea that we have to take part of our abundance, part of our animal, and take it out, out of the realm of abundance and animal and turn it into charitable uh, sources, because all the sacrifices... It was really about, you know, Jews don't consume blood for another time, but the idea was that the animals then went and fed the poor, or fed the families working at the temple. That yeah, had no and you've actually income. got to take the blood and pour it into the earth. You're not allowed yeah. to eat 
God. That's right. And the idea of that, that regeneration that's supposed to happen. And you're supposed to sit and meditate on like, if I wasn't a bet, if I wasn't a good person, that's essentially me not even living up to my own life. Like a part there, there's a price to pay. And the price to pay is you have to realize that what you do in your life that you live is connected to others. And thus you need to feed others. That's like, uh, that's why the word for sacrifice in Hebrew carbon, carbon means to be close. How could I get close to my wow. source? How do I and, create and, a and, connection? And it, another thought that occurred to me on that, which I'd love to ask is, there's talk of animal sacrifice and human sacrifice in the Torah. How are they? Are they the same korban? Are they the same idea or are they different ideas? Well, there's no there's no human sacrifice in the Torah. It's a huge, huge um, no, no. As far as like, no, I mean, I mean, more, more how, for example, you know, the how the covenant happened, you know, where Hashem said, you know, take your son. And that and what was that? That's not a sacrifice. Beautiful. Beautiful. Um, first of all, very, very apt connection. Um, according to Maimonides, the, the concept of, of sacrifice was to eliminate sacrifice from the world, where people were always doing rituals to God and sacrifice. And the Jewish people were supposed to say like, yeah, it looks like we're doing sacrifices, but we're actually feeding the world and feeding the needy and integrating our wealth into society and creating an infrastructure around that. And that's why Maimonides says, if when Mashiach comes, if we ever rebuild a temple, we won't have sacrifices again, because that we already did that. Sacrificing is not a thing in the world. Um, as far as Abraham, Abraham's like the first initial sacrifice of the Jewish people, right? Of our heritage before the Jewish people. And, and that, it was just and that, that human, I'm misusing the word, but the human sacrifice, what that became, it's also closeness because that's the yes. covenant that came of that with Hashem. Listen, the beautiful words of the portion, you open up the text and it's literally exactly what you're talking about. It says, Adam Kiyakriv Mikem, uh, which literally means a person that sacrifices from you. In other words, instead of saying, a person who sacrifices or a person from amongst you who brings a sacrifice, it sounds as if it's saying when you bring a sacrifice from yourself. And, and yeah. that's why Abraham interpreted that I got to bring a sacrifice of myself. He says, my son, and he wow. doesn't. He oh, does, so he, Abraham actually made that leap in his mind. He said, it's of my son, because that's the thing that's most precious to me. Correct. Whereas, whereas he has to learn through that experience that, and, and that, that not only it wasn't about his son, it was about like the idea that what's dearest to you, even your own children don't really belong to you. You know, you are a facilitator for the greater needs and that's what sacrifice really is. The way you wow, grow, and it's the about way you returning, returning to Hashem, you know, the sun and the moon that you spoke about before, you know, it's about taking light and getting it into the source of light and it just disappears in that. And then the sacrifice of an animal is, I guess, also about a return. Yeah, I think, what does it mean to return to self? It's like, it's like later in the portion, it says a soul that sins. And the commentators and sages say a soul could sin. And it's like, well, soul doesn't sin. A soul is in perpetual state of connecting to the creator, but it could connect to the creator without taking the body along for the ride. And the reality is, is the soul's only here to, to bring soulfulness to the body. To bring to bring this this charge of divine energy to the forefront of life to recognize that we're all connected. It's like in wow. science we've well, already made the leap. That's a question. I'm, it makes me think. Like, can a can a body without a soul sin? I don't think so. Mm -hmm. 
That's also true. A body without a soul can't sin either. Very also correct because the body doesn't sin. The body is a consumer of physicality. It's is it, it's not doing it because it's sinning. I was just so in, uh, the, in the thinking is about the sacrifice that. then is the sacrifice then a mitzvah because you're basically decoupling the body and the soul. You're saying the soul will go back to Hashem in this holy act that I'm doing, and the body's it's just it's just you know, it's, it's just matter. It's, it's, it's basically returning the soul to Hashem in that, in that act. Well, I, I would say yeah, not only that, it's, it's the, it's the soul re it's like the sacrifice was supposed to be an idea of how to get yourself back into alignment is through being able to use the physicality in a way to service the greater girl, greater world. And that is what being close is. It's like, why, what is a sac? How does a sacrifice help today? If somebody needs to make amends for something they've done, they have to go engage, you know, the, their wrongness, or they have to fess up to it. It's much more psychological. So prayer and Torah study are like, are like avenues for that. But in that time, because of life being so crude in the sense of like physicality being so, so confrontational of life and death and sickness and illness and life expectancy, et cetera, the real way to get close to like your mission again is to sacrifice some of your survival for the filling and, and nurturing of other people. And wow. today we do that as well with charity. Yeah. And one of the other really interesting parts, and I'm not learned enough to know exactly where this appears, but I remember one of the functions of sacrifice is also to cleanse the body of impurities and of illnesses. Mm. And there's a whole parasha that talks about like certain kinds of illnesses and skin conditions and et cetera, that need to be addressed through sacrifice and can be cleansed. And, and, and is that also sort of, is that also along this line of, of what is sacrifice in the Jewish tradition? Yeah. Yeah. Those, those see, when you say it in English, the sacrifices at all, it feels like unobtainable, but when you say like, were these also connections and closeness and ways of like, for example, the, the part of doing a sacrifice for, for people who have like skin ailments, uh, the Torah says that's connected to not watching your energy of speech, of letting your speech about others and yourself not being, and it's all about being be able to uplift that. So even today, without the sacrifice, but we have the hundreds of years of sacrifices of the Jewish people that are embedded in our DNA of like, you know, guard your speech, have positive speech, because when it's out there, it's separate from you. And when it's separate from you, it can remain negative. And so the only way to put energy out there is to put out positive energy, like your thoughts. If you have a negative thought, because it stays with you, you can change it to a positive thought, you know, so you're not persecuted for negative thoughts because you can change those. You could say, I thought that way, but I, 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 I don't want to think that way anymore. But when you say something, it's not always yours anymore. You put it out there. So the idea of a sacrifice is the idea of like, you need God to uplift some of the energy that you have. You need to like part of connecting to God is also saying like, help me lift the energy that left me already. And I can't lift it myself, you know? And it so, has to be a very physical, a very gross act because like you're, you've, you've drifted so far through committing these transgressions or these wrong speeches and you need something to bring you back to mm -hmm. Hashem. And so the Torah sets out these steps that you can take to be able to return. Yeah. When people would come to the Rebbe these days and say, help me get back to myself. The Rebbe was always like, all right, forget about that. Just go do a mitzvah. You yeah, know, like be in the world like, of action. Yeah. Like, like ultimately action is where real things happen. And like you hurt somebody, go help them. 
Go talk to them. Go make amends. Confront the issues. Like stop worrying about what you can't do and start figuring out what you can do because ultimately in the world of action is where it all happens. And that's what I'll do on my birthday. I'll still think deeply about like what's a new action I could take upon my life, you know, to really to really move forward uh, in whatever direction is needed of me. Awesome. Wow. There's so much there. So much to unpack. Yeah. I, I will say last thing is that time is uh, in Jewish tradition, a spiral, meaning it comes around again. But instead of being circular, it's an, an upward spiral. It's always ascending. So every year on your birthday, you revisit your birth moment, your moment of purpose, and you have an opportunity to really tap into maybe things that you haven't yet. And since I'm turning 40, one of the things that I, I saw in Jewish tradition is that it takes 40 years to truly understand certain wisdom. And, uh, and, and 40 is a big number. The, in fact, the word Adam, which is the highest level of calling human, is Adam. Adam is not men. It's, it's human. Adam is, um, is, is the ability, is like Chachma. It's 45, which is the power of what? It's 40 to the five. And five represents your hand which is about bringing things into the world. So my 40s is about integration, being able to take the, the wisdom I learn and talk and the good things I've done and, and, and even the negative and integrating them into my life so that my experience now also lifts uh, um, um, my, own, my own being. Like I just don't, I'm not learning all the time. I'm also, I'm also like growing from the learning. I'm not just accumulating experiences and information. I'm now learning how to put them into practice and integrate them into my life. So that's the type of uh, thoughts that I've been I having love, with this age. I love that. And it's really symbolic with your 40 at 40, you know, recording these sessions, because in this world we are, where it's difficult to travel physically, you're going out into the virtual world, going out into the globe and being able to communicate and bring people in who may not be physically close to you. So this idea of closeness these days can actually transcend the physical through, you know, technologies and other forms of connection that we have. So I really wish that for you and I'm excited to be part of your community and, and hopefully the actions that you do with me, I'll have the, the power and the opportunity to, to spread that to others as well. So thanks, thanks Rabbi for sharing. And thank you, I, I appreciate you and, uh, and, I, and I appreciate sharing this moment with you. Yamin 